0: This evening, let's take, uh, I'm just going to take about 30 minutes this evening, if you'll allow me that. We're in a series called The Corinthian Crisis, Paul's Word to a Wayward Church. Paul loved this church. Paul went to this church on, his, on a missionary journey, and he went there, and he had left Athens. And in Athens, he, he talked with the philosophers, and he kind of, he in a sense, I think, philosophized with them, thinking, you know, I've got to be relevant to them But I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God is relevant in 1st century and in 21st century. The Word of God is the Word of God. And then you see Paul, when he gets to Corinth, he said, he didn't come to philosophize. He didn't come to talk about some great philosopher or some great poet. He said, I wanted to know nothing among you except what? Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so this church was founded. The Lord founded it by his Word. Founded it by the Holy Spirit. Paul came to them in much weakness, trembling. Have you ever noticed that God uses things that you would never use? Because God wants all the glory. And that's been my prayer. I've been praying that a long time. And all that we're going to do in the next 18 months, I want God to get every drop of glory, all the honor, all the glory. So when we look back in 18 months or so, we're going to go, we don't even know how this happened. We don't even know. We just know. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done has done. But Paul talks about how he came to them in fear and much trembling. But he said, I came also in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I've I've noticed as you look through your scripture, you'll notice that the Lord takes the weak things like a jawbone or takes a stick, staff. He uses some little servant girl to say to Naaman, There's a prophet in Israel. You know, or someone like Ananias who prayed for Paul. He was available to the Lord. Or someone that just, you know, think of little things that are really great things in the eyes of God. You, know, you look at all the great gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to those. But you look at all those and you see the great word of wisdom and word of knowledge. And you see miracles and you see those power gifts and those great vocal gifts. And then it, you look over in Romans another it, it talks about the gift of helps. And, you know, that's probably the most prevalent gift in the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ around the world. Because you can't have more than one person speaking at one moment, but we sure need a lot of help, don't we? Come on, say amen. We're always needing some help. And these guys were out here digging a ditch tonight with the, with the machine, and they were getting that worked up, and they're cleaning that up to get it back. And you know what that is? That's not preaching, is it? That's not preaching. They didn't preach. That wasn't even praying. That wasn't, that wasn't a word of knowledge. That wasn't any of the great miracle gifts, but it sure was a lot of help, and it sure did a lot of good. You know, we're gonna get these boys and girls here soon. We've got a picnic coming on the 24th, and so. But Paul loved this church, and he left there, and then he would hear word back that that they weren't doing well. You know, and, and I can tell you, as a pastor, you'll feel every emotion in the world. You'll feel sadness you'll feel a little anger sometimes, you'll be frustrated sometimes. I think Paul had every bit of that. Do you know we know more about the Corinthian church than any church in the New Testament? We know more about this church than we do uh, uh, the church at Rome, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi. We know a little bit about those, but look at what God just pulled the, he pulled the top off this thing and we know what these people felt. We know all their issues. We know the Chloe was a family that was probably a more spiritual family. They sent Paul a letter and said, Paul, you've got to help us here. Things are not well here in the camp. And so Paul writes these, these letters. We know he wrote two letters that, were, that are canonical that are in the Scripture, but we also know he wrote other letters that, that were not canonically written down. He wrote those letters. One's called the, you know, the unknown letter, and it was a kind of a harsh letter that he writ, wrote to them. He loved these people, and he cared enough to, 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 in a sense, come and, as a father, step in the crisis and say, this is the word of the Lord. The Lord wants to fix this. The Lord can fix this. But, you know, as, we, as you look and you read other books like Clement, Clement, after the apostles had all died, Clement wrote a letter back to this church, rebuking them because they had gotten rid of all their pastors. There was pride deeply in this culture and, and somehow it kind of never really got all out. But Paul loved this church, and the Lord loved them, and they were saved. But man, they had issues. So tonight we're going to look at just a little portion of Scripture. Here's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. Here's my title tonight. My title is The Character of a Committed Christian. The Character of a Committed Christian. We'll read from verse 15 to 23, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to roll along as we go. It'll be a rolling kind of commentary this evening. 1873, 1873. the place was Dublin, and the great evangelist Dio Moody was there listening to a, a, a great, famous evangelist by the name of Henry Varley, evangelist Henry Varley. And during his talk, he said these words. Here's the words. Here's what, here's what the evangelist said, Henry Varley. Here's what he said. The world has yet to see what God can do with a a man, with, for, and through a man who is wholly consecrated to him. Later, Mr. Moody, Evangelist Moody, spoke to Harry Varley, and, and Mr. Varley didn't even remember saying it. It's amazing what you can say under the anointing, I guess. He never even even remembers saying it. And I guess that's a good thing because, you know, even Moses didn't know his face was shining. So God gets all the glory. But that statement so gripped Mr. Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do for and through a man who is fully committed and yielded to him. When Mr. Moody traveled back to England, or to America, he said on the board of the ship, those boards on that ship, it was almost like everywhere he went, that was just engraved. He could just see it in his mind. He got back to America, and and those words just gripped his soul to where he was involved in a lot of things. He cleared all those things out of his life, and he became fully committed to becoming an evangelist. In one of his crusades, Mr. Moody Repeated that phrase somewhere in his sermon to a vast crowd. He said these words The world is yet to see what God can do with a man that is fully yielded to Him. And in that crowd that night in Mr. Moody's evangelistic crusade was a man by the name of Henry Crowell. Henry Crowell. You may not recognize the name. But he was there. His father died of tuberculosis when he was nine. And Mr. Henry Crowell was in that meeting, sick himself. But he heard Mr. Moody say these words. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man that is fully committed to him. That night, Mr. Henry Crowell committed his life to Christ. And he made a commitment, a full commitment of his life to Jesus Christ. But along with that, he said these words. I can't preach like Mr. Moody. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not even a teacher. But Lord, I'm a businessman. But I want to completely yield myself to you. I want to yield my business to you. I want to yield my business acumen to you. And I want to yield myself completely to you. I want to be a committed Christian. And I want to help your work. So he started his business career. Very close to where he lived was a group of Quakers that had a business. He bought the business from them. And it became a business in which, that you probably recognize, Quaker Oats. Quaker Oats. Mr. Henry Crowell supported Christian ministries where 65 to 70% of his income went to support the gospel of Jesus Christ. Quaker Oats. Don't you, don't you wish Quaker Oats would do that today? Mr. Henry supported Moody Bible Institute. He supported, I mean, from literally keeping them from ruin, Moody Press, Moody Magazine, Moody, Mist- Moody Ministries, millions of dollars. All because a statement the world is yet to see what God can do with the man who's completely yielded to him. In Mr. Crowell's 89th year, he still had not lost the fervor. He had not lost the passion. He had not lost the dedication. He had not lost the commitment. He died climbing in a sense, if you will. He never let Satan steal that from him. Why? He was a committed Christian. The few verses that will be before us tonight is Paul showing us the attitude of a committed Christian. In these verses tonight, we need to ask ourselves, how can I be dedicated to Christ? Or how, how dedicated am I to Christ? How, how, much, how much willingness do I have to serve him? And what am I willing to be? Four things quickly. Number one, the character of a committed Christian. First of all, in verse 15, the committed Christian is willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Can I say it again? A committed Christian is willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Verse 15. We're picking up in the middle of a thought, but here it is. But I have used none of these things. Nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. Paul in his writings, as as we shared last time, not only the writings of Paul, the teachings of Jesus our Lord, also the, 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 the Torah, Old Testament teaching, that the importance of investing in God's servants. He explained that it was right for the people of God to support the work of the gospel. Yet, Paul here says, even though it's a right, he says in this verse, hear this, I have not used that right. I have not used that Privilege. Instead, now we understand context is this this was a brand new church plant. This was a brand new church. This was a church planted among pagan people, ungospelized. And Paul said, though it's in the Word of God, though it's in the teaching of Jesus, though it's in the teaching of Torah, I have not used that right why because committed christians are willing to sacrifice for the cause of the advancement of our lord and savior jesus christ so what did paul do he burned the candle on both ends to do the ministry He supported himself. He was a tent maker. Just a couple verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.9 says this. We get a feel for this. He said to the Thessalonians, You remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, laboring day and night that we might not be a burden to anyone. We preached the gospel to you. Now we understand Paul is a first century missionary in an unchristianized world. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he an amazing man? I mean, you want a hero? You don't need any sports heroes just get Pollock's biography on Paul, or just read the scripture about Paul. Amazing Christian, amazing hero, Paul. Laboring day and night, the little Jew from Tarsus, beaten. You look, read, read 2 Corinthians eleven. We'll get to that one day. All the things. I mean, beaten with rods, and like all the time. Just can you imagine what his body felt like? Yet working day and night. Why? Committed Christians sacrifice for the cause of Christ and for the advancement of the gospel. Paul said in Acts 20, 33 and 4, he said this, I have coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. See, Paul would not accept support from a brand new church where he was. But later on when he would leave, he would, he would receive support from him. He wouldn't receive support. But, but then later on, the, the Macedonians sent him, the, those in Philippi sent him finance to help him. In fact, Philippians says time and again, and he thanked them for their blessing and their, their law. He said it was like, a, it was like a, an, an, an offering to God. Verse 15, Paul's demonstrating some things. Just in this one little verse, I see a sacrificial attitude. Verse 15 again, I have used none of these things. There was a young man named William Borden. You may recognize that name also, Borden. Does that ring a bell, Borden? You ever bought some Borden stuff at the grocery store? You can go buy it today. William Borden was the son of the founder of the Borden industry. He had everything, this is 1800, had everything that anyone could ever want. He, was, he would inherit millions, millions of dollars. But something glorious happened to his life. He was converted to Christ. And he became a committed Christian. He became a Christian wholly committed to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He attended Yale. Yale at the time did, I mean, it still does in some branches, but they trained ministers, is what they did. He trained for the ministry. He felt called to go to minister to the Muslims, actually in China, northern China. He felt called there. He made his way, after he graduated from Yale, he made his way to Egypt. And he was going to learn the language better there. Then he was going to go on to minister to China, northern China. But as soon as he got to Egypt, he contacted some kind of meningitis, and he died. He didn't even make it to his field of labor. And you look at a young man, I think maybe my memory serves me correct, he was like 29 years of age. And you look at that and you say, what a waste. What a waste of of mine. And he bequeathed $800,000 to the China Inland Mission. He gave up his wealth. Wow, he was a committed Christian. But his life was not a waste. Because many that have followed him, many people have heard that story. Many young men and women have heard that story of a life given and it inspired them to go to the mission field it inspired them to do some great thing for the lord i mean no life is wasted that's our vantage point because we see earthly but god sees in foreknowledge and in in in, in he's an omniscient god amen and then when actually what it happened is uh, William Borden's mother arrived at Egypt. She was just going to be with him, and she arrived by ship to Egypt right as he died. He had just died, and she made it there. Didn't know he died to his funeral. And they say, now I don't know if this is true, but this is told as true. So I'll throw that. that his His mother found his Bible, and in his Bible, this is what it said. Three things. The first thing it said is no reserve. And the date was suggested that it was when he renounced his fortune. To give his fortune away. He bequeathed it. No reserve. And then she found these words. No retreat. And that was after his father told him that you will not inherit the family business. He said no Retreats. And then finally, right shortly before he died, he wrote in his Bible, No regrets. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. Let me tell you, no one who is a committed Christian to the, for the sake of the church and the sake of the work of Christ through the church and the work of the Lord in the world in some aspect. No one who is a fully committed Christian will have any regrets. Because whatever we do with a pure heart and a sincere soul, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I want to tell you, those who are lukewarm Christians, those who have been obstacles to the work of Christ, will weep eternally before God. But no committed Christian will ever regret. We will say, no regrets. Paul here demonstrates A sacrificial attitude, also a serving attitude. As as I read to you, when Paul went to Corinth, Acts 18, 3 says this. So because he was of the same trade, talking of of the couple that was there, uh, he says he stayed with them and worked, for he was of the same occupation. They were tent makers. Also, I see in this chapter, back up a little ways in verse 12, Paul said, I've endured all things. I've endured all things to minister to you. I see Paul has a suffering attitude. He endured some things. You know that Teddy Roosevelt said this, and I quote, he said, there there has never been a man in our history who has led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. Quote again, listen. There has never been a man in our history that has led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. Remembering, Well, I can tell you, my friend, my brother, my sister, I can tell you many millions have come and they have gone and their names are erased off the minds of human beings. But Paul's stands because he was a man who was a committed Christian to the work of the Lord. I see a, a sincere attitude. Verse 15, Paul talks about void. You're not going to make my boasting void. Void means empty without reality. Paul, Paul's love was real. Paul had a giving attitude. He said again in Acts 20, 35, he said, I have shown you in every way. This was his parting speech for the Ephesians. He said, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak by laboring like this. Here's a man who's sacrificing for the advancement of the cause of Christ. And he says here, and remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive And then in verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. What is a committed Christian? A committed Christian is someone who will sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've used none of these things. The story is told of a Moravian missionary who went to the West Indies to minister among the natives there. But he was having a horrible time. Everything he tried failed. Everything, every advancement was met with a wall. He was trying to share the gospel with these people that he loved, but he could not reach them. And one day he was reading in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, which said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He felt in his heart that he would sell himself. So that he could work side by side with them. And the Moravian missionary sold himself. And worked side by side with those he was trying to reach. Lost his life through it all. But gained many souls. As he would work with them and share. The saving good news. Of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. What's a committed Christian? There are those who sacrifice for the work and the cause of Christ. Secondly, quickly, a committed Christian takes the will of God seriously. Look at verse 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast for necessity. Uh, the numerical standard says, I am under compulsion. Better translation. I am under compulsion. And he said, Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do it willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been. But, if against my will, I have been give, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. See, listen, a Christian, a committed Christian, is deeply moved in his heart to serve God. Paul said, here, look at it again, I am under compulsion. He says, of necessity, verse fifteen of necessity, verse sixteen, rather compulsion. this is listen, this is not superficial Christianity. This is deeply moving. Heart Christianity, compulsion. What moved Paul? What moved him? Why was he so compelled? I would suggest several things. I would suggest the love of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, the love of God constrains us. He was compelled by God's love. We love because what? He first. Yeah, I would would say to you that he was moved by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, I labored more than they all, but yet not I, but, but the grace of God was doing that in me. That's the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus said that on that day, you won't have to think about what you're going to say. It will be with the Spirit of my Father speaking in you. It was the Spirit of God moving Paul. Moving Paul. In the will of God, I, I would certainly say Jesus' humility moved Paul. Jesus' condensation moved Paul. Jesus' self humbling moved Paul. The kenosis, the, the emptying, but not, not emptying in the sense of losing, but laying aside the prerogatives of deity and truly living as a man, perfect in every way, but yet truly a man. Paul even said this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So moved. He said, let it be in you. Let it be in us. We're moved when we see what Jesus did. And then moved by the thought that he is accountable to God. It says in verse 15, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. All of us have been given a stewardship. We were all given account To God one day. And you know we can serve God in one of two ways. One is we could serve God selfishly. That almost is an oxymoron. It really is. But Paul talked about this. He said in in Philippians 1 verse 16. That some preach Christ of selfish ambition. Do you know you can serve? But you can serve for selfish motives. That's why there's a lot of church hopping in America. I mean when you're in the first century... You can't get mad and go down the road. There's one church in one city. You leave them, you leave Christ, you leave the church. But notice, selfish, some preach, Paul said, of selfish ambition. Do you know what that means? That word selfish ambition means to canvas for an office, to get people to support you. So what Paul was saying this, Paul was exalting Christ, saying to the people, follow Christ, follow Christ, follow Christ. What the selfish ambition people were saying is, who are you for, us or Paul? That's what they were saying. Who are you for us, for us or Paul? That's what the selfish people were saying. Paul was saying, follow Christ and Christ alone. We can serve him selfishly or we can serve him selflessly. The Roman legion attacked their enemies on three levels of lines, three, three levels in their lines. Now, notice what Paul said compulsion, I feel of necessity, I feel this moving in my soul to serve the Lord, I take His will seriously. Committed Christians do that. So, three lines in the Roman legion as they advanced. The first line were about 1,200 young men, they were in their teens and early 20s. That's the first line of attack. Behind them was the second tier of about 1,200 men in their 20s and 30s, in the prime of their life. They would shout, shout at the enemy, and they would back up the first soldiers. Behind them were soldiers that followed a third tier, about 600 men, and they were the oldest, more, older, more experienced. They would give directions, they would give support. But one of the things that the front soldiers couldn't do is they couldn't go back. All they could do is go forward. There's two tiers behind them, the enemy in front of them, and that is what Paul's saying. I'm, I feel compelled to move forward just like those legions, just like that first line. Got the other line behind you. They're pushing you. That's, that's what Paul felt. I feel compelled. He said it's of necessity that I do this compulsion. Meeting, listen, meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road changed everything. Thirdly, a committed Christian seeks the eternal. Verse eighteen: What is my reward then? See, they were talking about monetary. Paul was saying, "I have every right to receive monetarily from you. I have every right." They don't don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. But then Paul says these words in the middle of this whole context of Romans, or or 1 Corinthians 9. He said, but what's my reward? See, the Corinthians were thinking monetary. Paul was saying, no, no, there's another reward for me. It's eternal. The Bible talks about rewards. He said, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race I have kept the faith, finally it's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me only, but also all, all who love His appearing. Paul had some present rewards and future rewards. His present reward, one was a satisfaction that he knew that he pleased the Lord. Anytime we sacrifice, it pleases the Lord. I've noticed in my life that anytime I sacrifice something, there was an increase of the presence of God. I'm telling you, I've noticed it for years. If I like even little things, because this is such a part of the nature of holy God, that, that when you join with his nature, you you experience his nature. You experience his presence. And I've noticed, if I'll just do something simple like cut out things in my diet and go very sparse, it's like there's an increase of the presence. Any, anything you sacrifice, why? Because Because the Lord... That's part of his, his nature. Paul said this, or, or really, let me just say it this way as we wind this down. The, this was something that wasn't a law. All the other apostles didn't have to do what Paul did. This was a personal conviction of Paul's. I mean, you know, there's some things in the Bible that are crystal clear that are for the whole church. But there's some things that you may have a conviction over that God's specifically speaking to you. That's one of these things. All the other apostles didn't have to do it. In fact, they didn't do it. All the other apostles, Cephas and all these, Apollos, all those. But Paul said, no, no, no. This is something the Lord wants me to do. This is something specifically that God is speaking to me to sacrifice. And I believe there was this deep satisfaction in the heart of Paul. Remember what Jesus said about about this, John four thirty two. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know of. I have, I have something that sustains me that's not of this world. And I think Paul, was, his reward was seeing every obstacle removed for the gospel to go into hearts. And then, of course, the future reward was at the judgment seat to be well-pleasing to Christ. Lastly, there's my close. The fourth thing is this. A committed Christian cares for the eternal souls of men and women. Look at verse 20, look uh, verse 19. Here's what it says: Though I'm free from all men, I have made myself the servant of all that I might gain the more. I'm looking for ways to reach people. Not, you know, let me tell you this: this becoming all things to all men does have a limit. It must be sanctioned by the word of God. It must be holy. We're not talking about doing sinful things to reach sinful people. But Paul is basically saying this: I'm looking for ways, I'm praying for ra- ways to sanctifyingly connect with people that are law so they can know Christ. And he says in 20, Under the Jew I become a Jew that I might gain the Jews, those that are under the law, as under law that I might gain those that are under the law, to them that are without law, as without law, not being without law, the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I may gain those that are without law. In other words, those that are not under the Jewish ceremonial and civil laws. To the weak I become weak that I might gain the weak, I, I am made all things to all men that I might at all means, means uh, save some. Then he says, and this I do for the sake of the gospel that I might be partaker thereof with you. Great Christian, the greatest Christians in history have been willing to do what it takes to commit themselves to Christ to reach lost people. Listen to what George Whitfield said. George Whitfield said, oh, Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Henry Martin, missionary, said this, here, let me burn out for God. David Brainerd, the missionary to the Indians, American Indians, Lord, to thee I dedicate myself. Oh, accept to me, be thine forever, Lord. I desire nothing else. I desire nothing more. Dear Moody, use me then, my Savior, for whatever purpose and in whatever way thou mayest require. Here is my poor heart, an empty vessel. Fill it with thy grace. Martin Luther, right before the Diet of Worms, he said this. Do thou, my God, stand by me against all the world's wisdom and reason. Oh, do it. Thou must do it. Stand by me, thou God, eternal God. And then John Hyde, praying Hyde, they called him missionary to India, said, Father, give me souls or I die. The committed Christian has a willingness to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. He takes the will of God seriously. He's compelled in it. He seeks eternal reward. And he cares deeply for the souls of men and women. Won't we stand? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ah, Could we play I Surrender All? Can you play that? We'll just sing this a couple times through. Commitment takes place in the heart. It takes place in the will. If preaching doesn't reach your will, all you've had is an emotional experience. If your will is not yielded to Christ, oh, we need to surrender to Christ. We need those in the church. Who will say, I'll sacrifice for the cause of our Christ. We need those who say, I'll take the will of God. I'll put it first in my life. We need that, don't we? We need those who care deeply for the souls of people. I knew an old man. His name was Henry. Henry. he was just a simple Oklahoma guy, simple, but you know what he did in the church? He taught the junior high boys for 20 years. If you can teach the junior high boys more than a month, you've got more God than most folks. For 20 years, he taught the junior high boys. He was a good man, a godly man, a very simple man, very simple man, completely committed to Christ. I was a youth pastor at the church. And he would call me midnight, and he said, "Brother Joe, my chest is hurting really bad." I said, "Well, brother, brother Huffman, I think you may need to go to the hospital." No, no, would you just please come over and pray with me? I believe the Lord would give me relief if you'll come over and pray for me. I'd go out in the middle of the night, pray with him. We'd pray for a while, and then he said, "I feel, I feel better. I feel better now. Thank you." Do you know, what, you know what brother Huffman would do. This is this is the kind of people that build great, strong churches, not the fluff stuff, not the vacillating and moving around like a, like a twig but an oak tree brother Huffman was an oak tree 20 years every Saturday night every Saturday night he would call every one of the boys Scott this is brother Huffman are you going to be in the class tomorrow yes brother Huffman I'll be there he called Jimmy Jimmy it's brother Huffman you're planning on being in our class tomorrow aren't you yes Eric are you going to be in class tomorrow 20 years he, he ministered to kids his office was right next to my office now you talk about something that would, will move you to tears he was an old man when I was there he's passed on now he was an old man and he was about, he probably about three quarters deaf he couldn't hear He's stone dead deaf almost his Sunday school class was next to my office. And this is before they built the new church, and we called it Old, Old Bethel. And the walls were thin, and it just. And every once in a while, I would hear Brother Huffman slip in that class, middle of the day, because he also mowed the church lawn. It'd get hot on those hot summer days, and he would get cool and come in. And I would hear him in the middle of the day, maybe 2 o'clock, and I would hear Brother Huffman. He didn't know anyone was listening to him. This was a sincere prayer, and I could hear him. Oh Lord, bless Jimmy. Bless Scott. Bless Eric. Lord, please let these boys let them be deeply rooted in you. Touch their lives. Lord, they're facing temptation. Help these boys. This was the Sunday school teacher caring for his class. How many know committed Christians? Can make a great difference, and that's what we're called to be. We're called to be committed to Christ, building the body. All of us shepherding, all of us praying, all of us encouraging. The body builds the body. So tonight, let's sing this one or two times through. Could be, you may have to help me, Tori. Give me the right key. And uh, help me surrender. I surrender all to thee and all to thee my blessed savior I surrender all again and I surrender And all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Mm. I know our time is gone. These are are moments when I wish we had prayer benches in here because I just want to get on my knees and just let these worship team play and just talk to Jesus for a while. Jesus is wonderful. He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He loves you. I thank you so much for being here tonight. And I hope to see you Sunday as we continue our series. We're rediscovering the church. You pray for your minister that I have God's word for Sunday. Oh, God, may you let your favor and blessing rest upon your people. We are blessed in Christ. We are in the beloved. We We are seated with you in the heavenly realms. I pray you keep us safe. Bring once again, Father, I pray that you bring healing to your sick people. Bring us back Sunday for a great day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Be safe as you go home.